This is Planted, a podcast that encourages us to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and established in the faith. In today's discussion, Pastor Matt leads us through the fifth and final point of Reformed Theology's Doctrine of Grace. That is the P in TULIP for Perseverance of the Saints. Good day, everyone. This is Pastor Matt Grimm. I'm here with Thad Keenel. What's going on today, Thad? Hey, Pastor Matt. Um, I don't know. It's a, it's a good day. We've been you know, working through this, uh, this TULIP thing, of uh, right. Calvin's TULIP, we yeah. call it, which is really just a reactionary response to... Uh, the Arminian position, right? right that's right. Which uh, was laid out, uh, and and the Reformed people said, "Hey, we need to solidify this yep. back to scriptures and see where the text is the most consistent." Yep. And as you and I had just mentioned a, a second or so ago, one of the things that keeps us uh, relying in this position of, of the Reformed position is it's just so consistent with the scriptures. Yeah, and that and, you know that's our goal here on the Planted Podcast is to is to be rooted and established in the faith. And, and that is all from the scriptures, you know. And so, you know, in this series on this season that we've been talking about Reformed doctrines, and we've now been in this, this little five-session series, this is a fifth of five sessions on, this, on TULIP, is that we wouldn't be talking about it if we weren't, didn't believe that these doctrines themselves and these positions were rooted in scripture. And so that, that is, and so the consistency comes in that, we're trying to be faithful to God's word, but it's, but also as we as I mentioned to you, I think before we really started recording here, is that it really is in this overarching doctrine of the sovereignty of God, and that we live to the glory of God. That right. is that this flows out of. And so as we as we get into the P of perseverance today, I think we're going to see that coming out. That really this doctrine, while it is finding itself in the application of man. It's the perseverance of the saints, right? But it's all rooted in the faithfulness of God. So just a quick review again, in TULIP, two is total depravity, and it really is an anthropological doctrine in terms of man, um, that we are um, dead in our trespasses and sins, that, that, that the the our fall the fallen state of man and it's in our depravity is is total in the sense it's not as bad as it can be but it's it's total in its every realm every part of humanity our our intellect our emotions our spirits you know our, everything about us is fallen there's nothing that that was unmarred by sin right, right? And, and I would uh, uh, want to add to this that in regard to the question of free will yeah because. That always comes up. So you're yes. saying that we don't have free will. No, we we believe that we have free will, but in our spiritual death and in, in our fall, right. we believe that we are what the scripture says that we are in bondage to yes. sin, and so we have been made spiritually dead through our yes. sin. And so with that corruption, uh, our spiritual aim can be nothing. Uh, focused toward the good of right. God, right? Not that that yeah. not that there's good and bad in, in these certain things, right. but that um, that depravity that we speak of is is all in a spiritual sense, right? Yeah, and so our chooser, if you want to talk about our, sometimes they call our will our chooser, <laughs> right? Our chooser, our ability to choose, our chooser is 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 not able 
apart from that supernatural work of God, apart from that unconditional election, which is the next thing, uh, and um, uh, can um, has the ability to choose God. Apart from that regeneration we talked about, and also when it comes to that irresistible grace, which we talked about last week, right? Sure. Unless God does that work, um, we can't. We we won't. We can't. We don't have the ability to choose Christ. Uh, and so that's that's that total depravity, right? And so that unconditional election is then God, his in his choosing, his choice, he chooses us to bring about that regeneration to to have that effectual calling that does call us. And then the L, the the limited atonement is is the actual payment, the actual covering of Christ. That, that he accomplishes on the cross and the victory of it in the resurrection, that that atonement, which we talked about as a covering that brings us back into one with Christ, that redemption, the reconciliation, that justification, that all come in there, it is particular, um, and, the, and it is limited to the elect. Why? Because, because otherwise the logical consequence we believe would be the universalism. Really, the choices are universalism or some kind of particular atonement. So yeah, so there, so therefore we have the the, the limited atonement. And then that what we talked about last week is then the um, the irresistible grace, right? And it is when we when we talk about that effectual calling of God, and when He does call us, and and it's not just a wooing, right? It actually is a a. Um, I mean, the, the, this, a, yeah, we mentioned that as a, like a forceful drawing. A right? forceful drawing, yeah. a dragging. Again, almost, we can stick right? with the word effective. It, yeah, it, it's effective, and it relates to that particularity of the atonement. But when he does that work of regeneration, right, we don't resist that. We actually want it because when he does make our hearts new, then then we have now have the ability to choose him. We want to choose him because that was the whole point right. of making us alive in the first place. Exactly. That it's, right. a, it's a change in our wanter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. That then allows us to choose. And it is the, the, um, that regeneration, that new birth that happens, that, that grace that, that God does it. We don't awaken ourselves. God, God awakens us. Right. We, it, and so therefore faith, what we talked about last week, Faith does not precede regeneration, because faith is only possible through that regeneration. And, and that faith is an act of the will. It is a trust that we embody, that we want. And so there is, it then is a free will choice once we're liberated, right? It's not something mm-hmm. we're choosing against our will. It's, it's actually the making alive our will again to be able to choose God. Exactly yeah. right, right. And so now as we move into the perseverance of mm-hmm. the saints, which I would uh, I typically tend to call this the perseverance of faith, mm. you know, because it puts the focus back on the faith, which right. was a gift to yes. us. And uh, and I think, as you had mentioned before, this is, um, as an act of God, it has everything to do with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Yeah. And so when we are dealing with the perseverance, uh, we're talking about people that uh, would say that, the possibility of not having perseverance is that you would have the ability to fall away once you've truly have believed. Right. Right. And so this is what we're going to talk about today, whether or not we keep our own faith or if God keeps yeah. it for us, or if we have the ability to turn our backs right. um, after believing and, and walk away and become yeah. apostate. Right. So I, I just want to read from Westminster Confession of Faith 17.1 here that this 
because I think this, again, we're out of the Reformed doctrines, the, the, the Presbyterian church we involved and we hold to this confession because we believe it's in the scriptures, you know, but here's how it says it. They whom God has accepted in his beloved, effectually called, which we've talked about, and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. Okay, so the Westminster is part of the standards that we um, adhere to. And this is saying here that what what God has called Mm -hmm. um, and sanctified by his spirit can cannot totally fall away. Right. Now here so here's It doesn't say that we can't sin or nor even sin grievously. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and so what's going through most people's heads probably is like, well, I know people who've walked away from the faith. I mm-hmm. know people who were raised in the church who were baptized, who, who were maybe even radically converted out of, out of paganism into to Christianity, professed faith, and then a few years later walked away, or 10 years later, or 20 years later walked away. What about them? Well, we'll get to that. In a minute, because I think there's there's a way to talk about that. Sure. But I do want to I do want to have this quote here from from John Murray, um, which I think is um, a, a, an interesting way to put it. He, he says, "Perseverance does not mean okay. It does not mean that everyone that professes faith in Christ and who is accepted as a believer in the fellowship of the saints is secure for eternity. Okay. Um." And, and may have even have some assurance of salvation irrespective of how he or she lives. No, perseverance means the engagement of our persons in the most intense and concentrated devotion to those means which God has ordained for the achievement of his saving purpose. What is what, is what we're talking about here? Is that we would, all, we would acknowledge within the visible church, what we call the visible church, that there are professing believers— who come and stand before the Lord and, and say this. But just because they've said that, that that's not where the assurance lies. Right? The assurance is in the work of Christ, right? And so that's what all of our assurance is in, is, is in the saving work of Jesus. And so when we profess, we are, we are acknowledging that. But it's not our profession in which we have assurance. It's in what Christ has done, and it's in God's, ordination of that in the elect, that who is truly in his hand, he is going to hold on to and, and save, right? And so, um, so the daily decision on all of our parts is to say, do I still believe that? And if I do, I give credit to God, right? Not to me, right? And if, and if 10 days from now, somebody says, I don't believe that anymore, right? That is... That is not saying anything about God, right? <laughs> right. Um, it, it is saying that because the reality is, can people? Let me put this question: Do people put their faith in other things besides God? Sure. Okay. Right. And so, um, and, and that's a human decision, a human choice, right? So I have faith that you know uh, my car is going to get me home today, right? Right. And at some point, I may. Say, I don't know that my, my car stops running a certain way. It's like, I don't know that I have faith that it's going to keep doing that for me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but when it comes, when it comes to uh, faith in God, um, many people have faith in God. Um, 
maybe not a Christian faith in God, but it's just a faith in God. When it comes, when we look at it from the human perspective, is what I'm trying to get at. The human perspective, faith, in some senses, can wane, can go up or down, can fall or hold, right? And when we're relying on on purely human choice from what I would say the Armenian position, right? When the doorway to faith is human choice, right? There's an exit that's available as well. Right, because it's right. being based on man's ability. Yes. Right. And so they're they're at least consistent. Yeah. Right. If if the faith is something that right. I generated to begin with, right. then then that faith is something that I could turn away from. Yes. Right. But because the scriptures are saying that faith is a gift of God um, and generated by the Holy Spirit, that regeneration, yes. that rebirth that we have, uh, that's the difference between uh, what we would consider temporary versus saving permanent faith and spiritual rebirth. So right. um, I think to emphasize that, let me state what the Arminian position is yeah. here, because yeah. I think so it, that's what we're getting into here. Yeah, I think it'll it'll help. So the Arminian position, which is which is the same as the Wesleyan position, uh, says that all who believe and are truly saved can lose their salvation. Sinners can lose their salvation by failing to keep up their faith by falling into a state of serious sin. So again, like we said, it's it's it, because it's based on their faith. If they fail to keep mm-hmm. up their faith, they can step away from that, right. right? Or if they turn the back on it, or or enough serious sin. I don't know how they put the marker on that. Yeah, that's whole, an interesting way to put it. That that. Because uh, I'm supposing what they're saying is that that serious sin is a result of a lack of faith in Christ. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it, it's almost so, it almost sounds like Catholicism with the venial sin versus the mortal sin type well, of thing. Well, because here's my question: because I know people who would say, "I have faith in Christ," and they would never necessarily wane from that, but yet they would also look at me in the straight face and say, "But I'm also cheating on my wife willfully." Yeah. And you confront them with that and say, don't you see that you, this is a denial of your faith in Christ, that you're, you're sinning as Christ? He goes, wait, I still believe in him, but I'm just, I'm just falling into this serious sin and I can't get out of it. Or, or, they would say, or they would say, I still believe in Christ, but I believe that they might even say, but I think God wants me to love this other person. Because I've, I fell out of love with my wife, but now I'm going to love, and, and so it's okay for me to love that God gave me this other person, right? Right. That that... that they're not, but they would the whole time they're they're falling into this what I would call super serious sin, right? They're still maintaining some kind of faith in. They're saying they maintain faith in Christ, right? There's something that's not working itself out there, right? The point is, is that the whole idea of getting into what whatever we call serious sin, right, is can you honestly acknowledge that you are that you have faith in Christ in this? true faith present in the believer, right? And there are certain things we do look to as evidence of that, right? Sure, yeah. Uh, we could look at the parable of the soils yeah. as an expression of temporary belief as well. Right. And so you, you can take a yeah. look at that. Um, but and, and, again, and we might in a minute look at look at the passage in Hebrews too, that war- there are serious warnings in the scripture about turning away. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and uh and that's something that the church is warned against. And so right. um, is that the the reality of, yeah, the, the warning is there, but we're dealing here with the difference between what is man's faith, because if it's something that I begin in my faith, right. then it's something that I have to maintain in my faith 
and persevere in in my own faith, right? As opposed to what we would point to in the scriptures is that he who began the good work in us is the one that's faithful to complete it. Right. Right. And so that changes it now. So we're talking about the faithfulness of God. Now, it's still faith that I have, but right. it's dependent not on my ability to keep that faith. The, the perseverance of the faith, it, it's, it's a doctrine that's depending upon God's faithfulness. And, and our trust is in God's faithfulness that he'll keep it. So let's just look at a few scriptures that, that talk about that, okay, that I, the, the, why we're saying this. So um, I, I think about the benediction in 1 Thessalonians. It's 1 Thessalonians 5. And this is a prayer of, of Paul's in the, to the Thessalonians, but in that he is describing something about God's faithfulness in all this. So he says, now may the God of peace, he's praying that the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, talking about the church in Thessalonica, all the people there, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 24, he says, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Wow. Right? Yeah. Uh, so Paul's confidence in this prayer, asking that, that they would be completed in their sanctification, that they would be kept blameless until Jesus comes back. So this is all about the perseverance of the, Thess- the Thessalonians, that they would stay true until the end. But his confidence is not in them. His confidence is in, is in he who calls you, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in, in God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit that he who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Now, wouldn't some people say, well, that sounds like a, a pretty empty prayer. If Paul really believed that it was the work of the Holy Spirit, why would, even be asking, why would he even be asking God to be faithful to it when it's his base, you know? You know right. So, But the idea is that that's how we are taught to pray is according right. to the promises of God, right. Right? right? And so that's good. Now, before you go on too much further on that, another um thing that I think we would want to clear up. So one is the position that um, sinners can lose their salvation. But one of the things that we don't want to say is the antinomian position, which okay. is that, you know, that you just got to say that you believe it's a done deal. Right. And then you can just go on living your life. There's nothing that you can do to lose your faith right. or faith or salvation after that. Right. Well, that's, that's why Paul prays the prayer, right? right? This does play itself out in daily life. Right. It's not an insurance policy. We're not talking How, about easy, easy believism. We're not, right? It's not like, well, I took care of that years ago, or, well, yeah, I go to church, you know, I believe that. And no, the, the idea is that it shows itself in a fruitful life. It shows itself in a sanctifying life, right? It shows itself in staying true all along. And and, mm-hmm. and staying true, yes, is, is, in, is in with verbally saying, I believe these things, but it also is in, in obe- obeying what Jesus says, right? Right. And he says, that's why, you know, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. That's not a merit-based salvation. No, but that is that daily life of fruit that is giving evidence to mm. what God is doing, right? How do I know God is doing that in Thad's life? Well, because I, I, I watch how Thad lives as much as he lets me, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. But, but that, that's, that's the point. And so, and, and, and the other point is when it comes to me as a pastor or any other Christian brother or sister in Christ is it's not my job to decide whether Thad is saved or not, right? right. I, I leave that to God. Yeah, in fact, you can't even know my heart. I can't. And I can't right. know yours. That's that's a. But, that's but a, I can be witness to your fruit. Right. right? And, and if you see me stray, you're going to come up to me right. and say, hey, 
you know, here's some questionable stuff, you know, what's going on Exactly, here? And, and ultimately what I'm calling you back to is faith in Christ, right? right. right? And, if you, and if you stay true to that and repent and turn away, then I know— That's just showing the fruits of the Spirit. That, that's showing that fruit, right? So, yeah, that, that's—in no way are we promoting that. That's why the doctrine is, not, is ultimately, while it shows its appropriation and effectiveness in man, the doctrine is ultimately about God. Yeah. That it's it's about his faithfulness, right? Because just as it says here in verse twenty four of First Thessalonians five, he who calls you faithful, he will surely do it. So the anchor in all that is is the Lord Himself. I mean, so you know, we we've used a lot of tulip that we've talked about here does come from the Gospel of John. You know, John is a, is a great place to look for some of these things, and it goes back to. Um, Again, we see these being related. I go back to to uh, John one twelve, which we've referenced before. Um, that in terms of the unconditional election, talking about the will of God. I'll start in in verse eleven of John chapter one. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Verse 13, we were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Mm-hmm. So we ask, what's the implications of that? Um, that the if you're born of the will of man, that's when you can also, you have that exit strategy as well. But when we're born of God, and God is faithful and true and we'll be sure of it, then what God starts, he's going to finish. God is faithful and true to what he does. So that's the starting point. That's that's the foundation we we come back on that's related to these other things we've been talking about in terms of uh, like unconditional election and irresistible grace. Yeah, and right? yeah, and I think that you just brought up something that really should raise a question about being born again mm-hmm. because what we are saying is that once born again uh that is an eternal work. That's yes. done in us, right? right? But if if you can lose your salvation, right, or turn away from it, that must mean that after you've been born again, that you have then died again spiritually, right? And that can end up in a a crazy loop of being born again, losing your salvation. Hey. You know, I, I got faith again and. I mean that isn't that the natural result of that logic? It is. Yeah, that that's that's part of the that's part of the point of of bringing that up is is even trying to, you know, trace through what God attributing this to God and not to man, right? It is what the surety is in. So if God's the one who who um who gives us that life, which again if we keep going in John, that's what we're talking about in in John um, three, right? When he's talking about being born of the Spirit, mm-hmm. uh, and so if we're born of the Spirit, again, that there's that eternal birth that is there. There, there's the God Himself is eternal, right? And when the Spirit does that work, that's we see the difference there. So I bring this up because what's the difference between this second birth and our first birth? Because didn't God give us our first birth, right? If, if God gave us our first birth, why wasn't it eternal? Um, so what's the difference between the second birth, the regeneration, and the first birth of of that in Adam and all those things? Right, and and carrying out that analogy, you know, for physically, 
born and then we decide that we're going to die yeah. or res- you know turn around and die can we then make ourselves physically reborn again no <laughs> right you're, you're, the logic keeps failing but that is exactly right and it has to do since you're already in John 3:16 mm-hmm. we're dealing with everlasting life that that whoever believes truly believes should not die but have eternal life how can you possess eternal life if it is not yes Exactly. Right. John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Um, He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. You've passed from death Death. into life. Yes. And so if you can turn your back on it, I would, in fact, you know what? I would be okay if they would say, if the other side would say that you can turn your back on, on God and lose your salvation, as long as they would say that there's no way to be born again after that. Right. Or that some, maybe eternal life or being born again actually starts at the resurrection. Right? If that would have to be, in, in, in essence, I could accept if that's what the script, now the scriptures don't say that. It right. says we have eternal life now. Right. I mean, it starts when upon believing. It doesn't start with our resurrection. Right. But in some way, if, if that's when eternal life somehow started, if that's when our regeneration happens, is at the resurrection, then I can see, okay, we can, we can, we can work our way toward it or we can fall away or get to it or something. If we just hold on to the end, then it happens at the resurrection. Right, I could maybe see that logically, but that's not what the scriptures tell us. Well, this is the whole thing, and so you can tell when we are wrestling with trying to even um, make some logic of the other side here that we are forced into speculation. Where we we've we've taken this very prominent word of God here that's very yeah. clear. First of all, that it says that it's of the Spirit, yes. that it's eternal, right? That we shall not see death, but we have passed from death into life. That, now. Now. Yes. Right. That, I mean, you have passed, right? We yes. have been born again. We have been justified. That's the other thing. Okay, we've been justified. If we turn our back, then we're no longer justified. We have to be re-justified. Yes. We have to have a rework of atoning blood of Christ. Yes. I mean, it's it really gets you into a nested loop of, of frustration, right, right. right? Yeah. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. 28, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand, Hmm. right? Yeah. It's God who's doing that. Jesus who's doing that. This is not, this is not man really, it's, it's, so the trust is in what God does and what he holds on to. That's where that, now again, we say it manifests itself in a life of faith and a life that is sanctified and a, a life that carries on to the end. And, and not that there aren't times of wavering, right? But when it comes to that true regeneration that, that God has done, it we can't stop it, <laughs> right? <laughs> but why? Because God's not going to let it happen, right? Because right. God's the one who, who's in, who's in control of it, and he's the sustaining power behind it all. Uh, and so... Um, I just want to, you know, look at a, a few more, um, and, and we're revisiting some passage we've already talked about because again, there's so much consistency in this. Sure, right that we've talked sure. about. So we talked about John one before. We've talked about Ephesians um, one. We've talked about John ten and John six before too. Well, but Ephesians exactly. one, we've talked about a lot of Ephesians one in this whole series, 
And so the end of Ephesians 1, as we've talked about predestination, um, uh, in him we've obtained inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to his counsel as well. That was verse 11. 12, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So there's two words in there that I want to look at here, the sealing and the guaranteeing. Are you still in chapter one? I'm in chapter one. Oh, okay. Ephesians 1, that was verses 13 and 14, okay? So um, what does it mean? So we talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in regeneration, okay, which we know we can't be taken away because it's the eternal work of God. So, so when the Holy Spirit regenerates us, we can't, we can't thwart that. that. That new life has started. It's sure, and it's going to continue on. So what's this expression of being sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, what what is the what is that sealing? What, what's this language communicating to us? Well, it's got to be something that I did. I have had to do this myself. Yeah. I had to, I had to lock it in and and put a stamp on it. So <laughs> right, um, but I can peel that back off again. <laughs> Apparently, oh wait a minute, no wait a minute. We're talking about the Holy Spirit here. Yeah, the Holy Spirit oh. seals it, right? Oh. And in that seal, it, it like in the Old Testament, see what it, it's a seal of ownership, um, authority, authentication, right? It's and so it's and it's because it's God who's doing it. He's putting His stamp on us. Man, you know this takes me and back to Romans. Stamp, if He puts His stamp on us, can I somehow take off the stamp that God puts on? Yeah, no, but this yeah, exactly no, you can't. But I'm, this takes me right back to yeah. the Romans part, um, and I'm just thinking about that, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Also, that we've been made heirs, so we've been adopted. Yes. Right. This this whole adoption process. So if we can walk away, then we're going to lose our sonship as well. Our, right. We're no longer adopted. We have to be readopted. Um, again, we we keep running into this right. redundancy wall. Right, and the same thing in verse 30 of, of, of chapter 8 we've talked about. You know, we, we can't be unjustified, um, unglorified, you know. Um, <laughs> those those things that, that are talking about as accomplished facts. So with that ceiling, there, there's this, this sense of security that, that is there. And again, it's that ownership, authority, authentication. And and so the this seal is because... We have to ask who gives the seal, who's securing the seal, right? It's God Himself. And right. so if if you know, said, "Well, can't I break the seal?" Well, you try to. Can can we break things that God? You know, can I break the seal of God? I mean, that that's that's putting a lot of power in man's hands. It sure is. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. We, you know, yeah. We yeah. We can thwart the plan of God. Is that the exact word that you just used? I don't know. Yeah, but it, right. it was, but you know, when you say that, um, I was thinking of. Uh, Ephesians chapter four, and you had brought this out about grieving the Holy Spirit, yeah, right? right? But it says the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Mm-hmm. That is, that's a permanent fixture um, as well. Looking yes. all the way forward to the day of redemption. That's the, and that, so there's different types, you know, we have been yeah. redeemed, but that final redemption is, is talking about the resurrection, right? Yeah. right? 
So I, so I hope you're hearing, and I hope we're not pounding it in too much, but you're hearing the, the constant thread through here is the work of God, the work of God. It's he, it's what he is doing. And, and again, this doctrine is all about God's faithfulness that then finds expression in the persevering of the human, right, who he's regenerated. Right? It, it, that's what it is, but, it, but it's, it's um, all about God's faithfulness uh, that, that is showing up. And so I, I want to then um, look at, as we think about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in regeneration and in sealing and all these things, what is that practically doing in the life and faith of the believer? What is the Holy Spirit actually doing in his ministry? Because, I mean, he, you know, he regenerates us. In, 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 we've talked about in the past in, in the calling, and, and, and um, he, he converts us. I mean, right? He's the one who gives us, who gives us, he assures us of our adoption, which we just talked about, right? Mm-hmm. That, that is there. But in all these things, what he's doing is it's uniting us to Christ. It's this union with Christ that when we become part of his body, and we are united to him, that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is constantly drawing us to Christ. And so uh, I remember reading a book in seminary, it's simply called The Holy Spirit, it was by Sinclair Ferguson, it was an university press book, but he emphasized this whole union with Christ throughout everything. And what, what was significant to me in this is how prominence of Christ and the in Christ and in Christ in so much of the New Testament, right? And even even sometimes, you know, in, especially in Presbyterian churches, but I, just in a lot of Protestant churches in general that maybe aren't Pentecostal or, or charismatic, is that why does the Holy Spirit not get as much airtime, <laughs> right, as Jesus? Um, and, and I think in a lot of ways we should talk about the Holy Spirit more, but I think one of the reasons why is because the ministry— of the Holy Spirit is to bring us to faith in Christ, right. is to unite us to Christ, right. is to glorify God in Christ. Right. And in that sense, the Holy Spirit doesn't mind taking a back seat. No, that's that's exactly right. It says that he, he, the Holy Spirit doesn't testify of himself, but of Christ. Yes. And so that's that's who, who the Holy Spirit points to that second person of the Trinity who yeah. has shed his blood for us. Now understand one thing, when we talk about the Holy Spirit and we talk about Christ and we talk about the Father, we're talking about one God. Yes, right? exactly. And so we can say Yahweh is doing all these things and yeah. we will not be, in, uh, Yahweh right. laid his life down, Yahweh is the yeah. power that's drawn us, right. but it's separated because that's the way the Holy uh, the Holy Scriptures describe it to us in their particular roles yes. as persons. And so, so, um, so it's appropriate that we're talking about the Holy Spirit a lot in this, but in 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 this context of what because He's the one who is doing that. But what is the Holy What is the Holy Spirit doing? What What is He persevering us in? It is faith in Christ, and it is in a practical sense He is the one who's uniting us to Christ. We are seated in the right hand of the Father in Christ, who is at the right hand. You know. So I bring this up because we, I need to continue to see myself in this life of faith as a human being here on earth, staying faithful to Jesus, I do that only because I'm 
in Jesus. Right. Right? And the Holy Spirit has united me to him, and it's his faithfulness to the Father. This is all, I bring this up because it's all going back to this eternal decree we talked about mm. at the beginning of this okay. whole right. season. Right? The promise that was made between the Father and the Son and the Spirit, right, to make sure what he wanted to accomplish in history in the creation of the whole world and the redeeming of it that he planned from the very beginning, which relates back to the predestination series. But that decree of God is made sure in Christ's work on the cross, his resurrection, and the work of the Holy Spirit in the body that draws him in and brings us into him. Wow, my goodness. The very ability of man, the, the potential ability of man to uh, be saved and then turn his back on God and die again spiritually absolutely would force the thwarting of God's eternal decree. It would. Because what God has decreed is from the foundation of the world <laughs> yeah. for a certain people. Right. It, it can't possibly be both right. and. Right. On this case. It can't. And, it's, and ultimately what it's giving expression to is the faithfulness of God. You know, the, the perseverance of the saints that talked about us keeping our faith. But we, we are enabled to do that only because God himself is the faithful one. That is part of his character. It's who he is. It's, it's, that's, in the Old Testament word, it's that hesed. It's his covenant-keeping love, right? That he stays true to his word and his promises. In the New Testament, it's, it's that agape love of, of God that he sets on his people that is unconditional, that Jesus finds expression in um. In, in what he accomplishes, that we then participate in that, wow, in that yeah. union with him. Well, we've been talking about that this is not so much about our faithfulness, but God's faithfulness to us, mm -hmm. right? Yes. And we've been talking about the things that Christ has accomplished for us. Uh, let's take a look um, at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse, uh, really verses uh, 6, I guess is, is where it is. But it says, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's his coming back, who will also confirm you to the end. Christ begins the work, he confirms it to the end, to the end that, it, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful mm -hmm. by whom you were called into the fellowship. Yeah, are you the new King James? I am. Okay, well, just I just want to note some interesting words there because um, in verse seven, the ESV. I just I'm, this is just to bring some wholeness and 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 round out these things to yeah, help. It shouldn't and change it too much. Is, is it won't change it, but it's just interesting that the phrasing I think is is helps me understand what the New King James is saying a little bit. Is it says so that you are not lacking in any gift. The New King James had that you are. Um, what did it, how did it start out in verse 7? Something about, how does it describe the gift? Come short. Okay, come short. Yeah, yeah. so the come short, that, so that I'm not lacking, that I don't fall short. So I'm not lacking in any gift. Uh, and then in verse 8, uh, ESV says, who will sustain you to the end? And mm -hmm. the New King James says. Confirmed. Confirmed. Interesting. You know, that that, 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 that will be confirmed. And so that's, the confirming is something that God 
is decision God does, right? right? And then ESV's describing that as well, sustaining you to the end. Because it does sustain it you. It does, it is. Because God's decree is what's sustaining us to the end, right? <laughs> exactly. It's just very interesting. Yeah. The, 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 well, and that's, I the, mean, I have three versions open right now. The and interpretive I'm, choices that are being made there, but they're communicating nuances of the same reality, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly so, correct. No, absolutely. So, yeah. So, I, I just want to, you know, Keep going on that thought because as you do, I'm going to look up the the, the Greek word there for sustain. <laughs> well, see, again, it was sustain. just uh, the, uh, the idea is, was that we were called into fellowship by Christ. You yeah. know, this is this is all God, right? He's the one that places the call on us. We've talked about the effectual call. So it says here that if we've been called and confirmed in Christ that it's going to be the power of God that's going to sustain us to the end. And, you know, again, this is all according to the good pleasure of God's will. This has, this is not about something that I've decided to do on my own because I was dead in my sins. I've been regenerated, made alive again. It, it also says, like Pastor Matt said in Ephesians, that we were sealed. Yeah. Right? So we have this, yeah. this sealing effect that is a permanent application of the power of God in our lives. So, yeah. you know, we, we talked about the verse again from for, uh, from Philippians uh, chapter one, where it says, he who began a good work in me mm-hmm. will complete it. I mean, if, if, if you can lose your salvation, then, I mean, there's no other good work or no yeah. other better work than the salvation process, right? We would have to say that he who began a good work in me will complete it unless I turn away. Well, yeah. then he's not really able to complete it, right? So. Yeah, I, I just want to quick, that, that word that the ESV translates sustain, and the New King James is confirm. I'm looking, the Lexham English Bible also uses the word confirm. And I just looked up, I just looked up that word, it's babayo, and the definition, this is from the, the BDAG commentary, uh, dictionary, is, uh, says, the first definition is to put something beyond doubt. I love that. <laughs> to put something wow. beyond doubt. Yeah. And then it has confirm or establish. It's used in Mark 16, 20 to confirm the preaching of Jesus there. The, in Romans 15, 8 as well. And then here's 1 Corinthians 1, 6, Paul's proclamation concerning God's beneficence displayed in Christ was validated by the gifts evident in the Corinthian congregation. I just, but I, I love that phrase, to put something beyond doubt. Yeah. Right? And that's... Because I think that's what, in in my view, the Arminian position is 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 allowing for doubt. Um, uh, that now now it's not that I don't believe that people doubt, right? It's not about whether people doubt or not, but the question is, you're putting God's promise in doubt, right? You're allowing the human will to put God's promise in doubt. And God's promise is not in doubt. Right. And we're also saying what God has done by changing a stony heart into a stone of flesh can be turned back into a, <laughs> a heart of stone. Yeah. Did I say, I must have said that wrong. Uh, uh, you no, know, you said it right. Did I say it right? Yeah. I can sometimes, I'll, I'll go back and say, what I, what I blend the words. But yeah, a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Back in, in back but, into but, a but, but if I want to, if I, if I deny it, yeah. I'm going to go back. Yeah. Now, listen. Okay, we've been talking about eternal life. What God gives is eternal. But if it's something that we um, have not, if it 
it's because we've been regenerated that it's it, it's eternal, right? But listen what first Peter says about this born again process. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. This is first Peter 1, 23. Yes. Yeah, I, in, in my flesh, my flesh is corrupt, right? But that redemption process, that born again process says that we're born not of corruptible seed, right? It's, it's incorruptible. Well, that means that it can't be made corruptible again. Well, how is that possible? Because it's through the word of God and God is eternal. He lives eternally and he abides forever. And so shall we in him when we are in union with Christ. Yes. Yes. I think we do. Let's, I, I do want to, in addressing this, I do want to address a couple of those passages that do these warning passages that, that are there in the scriptures. Why are these warning passages there? What are they communicating? And because typically when I, my Armenian brothers and sisters who hold to this, they say, they say I'm taking the scripture more seriously than you. Um, and, because there are these warning passages that say, that say, if someone does fall away, you know, that they won't, like in Hebrews, what talks about, He'll never be brought back. Um, and so they're saying, you're, you're not taking this verse seriously. How do you explain verses like this when it talks about um, these, in, these exhortations uh, that are there to not fall away? If falling away wasn't possible, why would it be in there? I think we need to address that because we do take the scripture seriously. Right. And, and, we, and we want there to be harmonization in this. And, and we, I believe, have a... Uh, what is the explanation for things like that? Uh, so let me look at this. It, I'm trying to figure out where to start here. So I'm in Hebrews chapter 10. There's Hebrews 10, and then there's also Hebrews um, six, maybe six, I think, that are there. So I'm trying to figure out what's the best place to start <laughs> um, as needed. I think maybe maybe better to start in Hebrews six. Um, that's a huge topic. Typically starts in four, yeah. I think. Yeah. I want to go first to Hebrews 6 and start in, in verse 4. It says, For it is impossible concerning those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and become sharers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the coming age and have fallen away to renew them again to repentance because they have crucified again for themselves, the Son of God, and held him up to contempt. All right. So I'm going to stop there. So here's the objections. We have someone who has been enlightened, who has tasted the good word of God, the powers of coming age, and then it says, and having fallen away to renew them again to repentance. Oh, and their shares in the Holy Spirit, okay? So here's the, the things that are being said, that they've been enlightened, They've tasted the heavenly gift. They've become shares of the Holy Spirit, tasted the good word of God. What, how is this person being described? Because this, if this is the qualities of this person, then it says it's impossible that for them to be brought back again to repentance if they fall. Well, away. and that's why I was saying earlier that if right. they're consistent, they have to they have to make this statement, right? So let's let's summarize that statement again yes. that you just said. For right. it is impossible for those who have done these things yes. who've 
been partakers, if they fall away, right. it's impossible. If they fall away, to renew them again to repentance. Right. So if you, if we were going to say they were born again, yeah. If they fall away, it's impossible to renew them again. So they're out. Yeah. yeah. They're out. Right. right. Now there's no chance of coming back. There's no chance of coming back. So that, no rebaptizing them. No. That's yeah. that. That's kind of scary because we've seen people come right. and go from the church, and then we've seen them. Yeah. Th- we've seen them solidify yeah. it, their faith. Right. right. So so it, so it, it, so here's it, how I understand this. Right. Sure. Is that this nowhere do I find here where it says this person is regenerated? Okay. What it says is that they've been enlightened. Now, in, in, enlightened in one sense, they, they have, they are, they're saying they, they see these things, okay? Um, they've tasted the heavenly gift, okay? So they, they've, they're participating. What I read this is they're participating in the life of the church, okay? So I could say this is someone who's, who's yeah, they're, they've confessed Christ outwardly, right? They're part of the visible church, this to me, this is describing someone who's participating in the visible church. They are, um, they're sharing in the Holy Spirit. How are they sharing the Holy Spirit? Maybe not by regeneration, but they're sharing in the participation in the body. Right? The Holy, where the Spirit of the Lord, where two or three or more gathered, the Spirit of the Lord is there. I mean, when when the visible church gathered, the invisible church is also present. Those who are truly regenerate, and so the visible people in the visible church who maybe aren't born again. Right, but they are participating in the life of the church, they're, so they're they're being enlightened. They're tasting in the heavenly gift by participating in the life of the church. They're sharing in the whole the corporateness of the Holy Spirit. Right, they've they they're hearing the word of God on a day on a weekly basis on a daily basis. They they're participating in all those things. They're 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 in the midst of the graces of God in that sense. Right. right? I think what we can say is that of all of these descriptions here, nowhere else in scripture are these used of somebody that's saved, a designation for somebody that's been regenerated. Yeah. You know, so like you said, but they're, they're participating within the body. And we could say, for an example, how many people saw Jesus Christ heal somebody right. or raise them from the dead or have the testimony of it and still reject them? Right. Right. So the, in that sense, they, they, we're partakers of a, of a power yeah. of the Holy Spirit right. can be said of that as well. Yes. So I think on the one hand, it could be describing a person who is in who's in that, and once and once they fall away and reject because they've tasted and participated, they know what they're saying no to. Right. Right. And he's saying it's, it's impossible to bring them back to repentance because it's like what else what else do they need to see? I take and that hear as, and taste and right, touch. Right. But the other side of it is it could also be is that. If these things are truly what they have in a regenerative, then they, 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 they're not going to fall away. Which way do you see this? When you read this and you say, how do you take this language of it's impossible, of having fallen away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance? Yeah, a couple of things yeah. I think that are possible. What I'm saying here is is it, it's going to be a little bit of opinion. Mm-hmm. I have experienced... Uh, people who have, you know, been in the church who look like they were participating and stuff like that, and then they've rejected it. Yeah, you know, so they were partakers in all of these things and they rejected it. But I've also seen that same party come back um, to a faithful life in Christ. Yeah, right. So therefore, it can't be impossible, according to this, mm-hmm. right? But I think what this warning is actually against is the re- um, 
the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, where people, um, the Pharisees, for example, were seeing all of the good gifts of of Jesus Christ, right? But they were attributing it to a non-God entity, right? They were calling good things evil. The good things of God, they were calling evil. That's a total rejection, right? And so um, with the final rejection of full revelation of God, right? And, and it's not just uh, the, the full rejection. It's the final rejection that we're talking about. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, because God can work a miracle in a heart at, at any given time that he so chooses. We come to faith in time. So that being said, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's impossible for somebody to leave the church and be saved. I believe that they can be. I mean, we've seen it happen, Right. So therefore, we're talking about a different thing here. Or, like you said, it's actually speaking to the contrary. It's it's using the the absurdity of the application of those who actually are saved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I mean I, I think you have a preacher here who's using who is using some hyperbole to warn and and let people know the reality is if you're here in our midst, you're a part. He's 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 writing to a congregation, right? Um, he's preaching to a congregation. And he's saying, you know, don't fool yourself into thinking that just because you're here and participating in all these things, that that's what saves you. It's no, it's, it, there is this whole thing of, of this, it's, it's what Jesus has accomplished, but, and it does, it is going to play itself out in a, a, a faithful, full long life. Right. And there's also and if you walk away, the consequences of walking away from the participation of the series is extremely serious. Right. Right? That that it it, it in and of itself in the walking away is testimony of the fact that you weren't part of it. Mm-hmm. Even though even though you thought you were, you weren't really. Right. right? right. I, I, so, well, and I think it also goes along with the doctrine of justification and sanctification because the following verses immediately after that speak about the fruits of the Spirit in a yeah. sense, right? It says in verse 7, For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessings from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is is to be burned, right? Right. The fruits of the spirit in a person that's truly regenerate is the fruit, like like the fruit of a tree, right? If you are an orange tree, you're going to create oranges. Right. You're not going to create briars and thorns, yeah, exactly, right? And exactly. so this is this is an explanation of yeah. somebody who's truly in the invisible church. Yeah, exactly. Not the, not so, the visible church. And so the good, faithful teacher and preacher is going to use exhortations to elicit responsible actions by its people. Right. And he's also going to give these precious warnings as a guard against self-deception. Because we can deceive ourselves. I mean, that that's part of the thing. That's why the doctrine that we're talking about is on God's faithfulness showing itself mm-hmm. in man, not man's faithfulness that's proving God. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. And so, so warnings like this are important because we can be deceived, and we can deceive ourselves into thinking, "Oh, I, you know, my participation in this way is 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 the evidence." I mean, not the evidence is the faith itself, right? But it is that ongoing, continued faith in Christ to the end that that shows that. 
Uh, so I do want to look at the Hebrews 10 passage as well because it's the other it's one of the other ones that 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 comes up but I think that it it does speak to this self-deception issue. Uh, so in starting in verse 26 of Hebrews 10, this same pastor uh, exhorting his congregation he says for if and this is right after he he's encouraging them not to give up meeting together, <laughs> right? So that famous verse where he says um, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. This exhortation in verse 23, um, the one who has promised is faithful, talking about the faithfulness of God. And let us think about how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not abandoning our meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging each other. So he's encouraging, he's exhorting all this. And then in that exhortation, right after that is a warning. Verse 26, for if we keep on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fury of fire that is about to consume the adversaries. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much, more, how much worse punishment do you think the person will be considered worthy of who treats with disdain the Son of God who considers ordinary the blood of the covenant by which he was made holy um, and who insults the spirit of grace. Right. So, so I think what that's getting for is that blasphemy you're talking about. One, the self-deception. If we keep on persistent in sin and we're not repentant, we're deceiving ourselves if, if we think we truly have faith in Christ. We might say it with our words, but our, our life's showing differently. But then there's also the, what's the whole idea with the sacrifice for sins and all that kind of stuff? Well, it, it does get back to the whole issue of, of the blasphemy of the work of God in Christ, that even though you're saying you believe in him, your life is showing that you're not really trusting in his sacrifice, that you don't really believe the work of the Spirit through Christ on the cross and the resurrection. Right. And I think we should also take the context of this as this is being spoken of to those um, here who are you know, we're in a transition period, you know, kind of between the Testaments here. I mean, it's the, we're New Testament times, but the, the temple hasn't been destroyed yet. So there's still sacrifice taking place in the temple, yeah. right? And so what are the Jews um, doing? Yeah, maybe some of them are saying, well, yeah, maybe this is really the Son of God who died for us here. But they're still practicing um, sacrificial system within the temple. So if you go back to the beginning of chapter 10, it says that the blood, the blood of bulls and goats cannot it's impossible for right. them to forgive sins right. so now with that if you believe that this is really saying to a particular people of of those who are saying if you're going to go back and, and continue to sacrifice the blood of bulls and goats if that's going to be your practice and try to have jesus christ at the same time no no there's no more sacrifice for sins that's what this is really speaking of so in the context it's speaking to a, a particular group of people, but the point is still valid that anything that we substitute um, for complete forgiveness in Jesus Christ is a substitute for what really atoned for our our sins. Right. So, you, so you're saying that? So, I'm just imagining myself as a as someone in this congregation who's still in, a, in potentially in a time when the temple still exists. It's like, yeah, I put my faith in Christ. I trust in Him, but I know I've still messed up, so just in case, I'll go ahead and, and take a bull or a goat or a, a, a pigeon or a lamb or whatever, just in case Christ wasn't enough. You know, much, much, much harder for people 
um, who were in this tradition as they were yeah. growing up. You know, this is what I did my whole right. life. Every Passover, right. I mean, every week, every, right. I mean, the daily sacrifice right. that was going on in the tabernacle, but it doesn't have to be just for them. I came out of the Catholic Church. Right. Well, I was thinking, I was thinking going to the same place. It's like, well, I believe that Christ was enough, but just in case, I got to say my Hail Marys today. I got to, I got to do the rosary. I got to say, I got to go to confession. And that, that is a very. Now, going to confession isn't necessarily a bad thing, but, but. That's not what atones is, for your sins. It, right. Well, it is if you're asking for absolution of your exactly, sins. Right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> right. And and the penance that they give you is yeah, all about right. works. So, right. yeah. and I'd be happy to talk about anybody about that process. Have you been frustrated? I'm just saying it's, it right. there can be some good in confessing a sin to a brother to have them help. No, them. it absolutely is not. Yeah, this, right. Yeah, but conf- I just, yeah, but the, confession, the way we do it is not seeking forgiveness, <laughs> yeah, right, right? right? I mean, um, from, from, from God, but, yeah. um, but, but. The, the the prayers that we used to do, the prayers to the saints, the prayers right. to Mary, um, and a big one, it, the sacramental system is, you know, when it comes to the first communion aspect or having communion of the saints, that sacrifice is a continual sacrifice. They're saying that the work has not been finished. Yeah, right. And so, you know, uh, in, the, in, the, in the Roman Catholic's eyes, Right. Um, they're actually witnessing in their eyes a continual sacrifice that is the atoning work is being done again. That applies to this verse perfectly. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and let's even get back into our Protestant life here, and even life within you know evangelical mindset sometimes can can twist things wrong. It's like, do you ever find yourself bargaining with God? Mm-hmm. You know, because you know you've messed up or you want something and you're like, well, okay, God, I'll do this. If I do this for you, will you do this for me? Right. Right. Um, and, uh, that's, you know. That- How about this one? I've, I, when, I was, when I was younger, I can remember um, sinning um, maybe a pretty bad sin or whatever yeah. the case was and laying my head down on the pillow at night saying, God, please forgive me for my sins. You know, right. please forgive me for that sin in particular. That's great. Which um, is a good thing to which do. Which is good. But then doing it again the next night, not not repeating the sin, but repeating the prayer, requesting forgiveness, mm-hmm. um, and and not feeling forgiving, not mm-hmm. understanding that that yeah. was actually covered, right? And and so I've talked to people like that where they're just like, I just don't, I just don't feel forgiven. And I'm like, well, how many times have you asked forgiveness? I, I ask at least once a week, if not every day. Are you continuing in the sin? No. Okay. What I think you need to do is you need to ask for forgiveness one more time. And they're like, what do you mean? Okay, well, this time you're not going to ask for forgiveness for the sin that God's already forgiven. You're going to ask for forgiveness for not trusting that the blood covered it. Yeah. You know, this is the promise of God that we have been forgiven, right? right? So the confession of sins is great, but we also have to trust the promises of God that we have been forgiven, that we have life in Christ and that that sin has been taken away as far as East is from the West. Right. And that's eternal. Right. And that's eternal life that we have with him. And so, um, and that's where I think we, I think in the Colossians series, we mentioned this, but there's an element of pride in that. Right. Is there anything (laughs) that that I've done that God can't forgive? Right. We talked about that in that episode. I forget what number. It was was one of the very first ones, but you're like, just, just get over yourself. Get over yourself. Right. But, but, (laughs) but but again, that I think there's an element of that that's related to this whole idea of the perseverance of the saints. It does. Yeah, it is. Because again, this doctrine is about what God keeps. And, and what we're doing is saying that God, by the Holy Spirit, 
in the re- because he regenerates us, we can't lose that. Because he seals us, we can't break that. And because he unites us to Christ in faith, we can't we can't break that engagement. <laughs> right? There's nothing we can do that breaks that engagement. There's no sin that we can do that's going to break that what we what we're united to. Right? And when we're united to him in that betrothal, where we become one with him, and then that really was, if you, if you think about the Jewish idea of marriage, when you were betrothed, they viewed that as, as, as a reality, that you were already united to that person. Sure. And you were just awaiting the marriage feast that was to happen. But you were already committed and united together. Right? And that's what we are united. And that's going to be culminated in the marriage supper of the Lamb that final right, day. Right. But the union has already happened with the pledge of Christ to us in that calling. And then when we pledge ourselves back because he's regenerated us and united us to him, the surety of that, another way to talk about that is inheritance, right? The inheritance is sure because not only do we get inheritance, but but actually, the people of God are the inher- are His inheritance as well, right? And so the surety is again on God, right? And so I, I think that sums it up. I think we've dealt with some of these problem passages. The the essence of what we're doing in all of this is again pointing back to God's promise, to His decree. You know, do you go back to the eternal decree episode? To go to back to the predestination episode? This is God's eternal plan, right? that he's the one who's keeping all of these things. And when we look back to the whole tulip thing, the one thread that is going through all this is man's need that he can't do of himself, that God is choosing to do, that God has paid for, that God, um, by his grace, is, is, is bringing about that we can't resist. And then now in the perseverance, that, that we will stay faithful to the end. Why? He's given us the ability He's given us his spirit, he's paid for the sins, and he is faithful to bring to completion that which he starts. Mm-hmm. That's, that's exactly right. right. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. So we have, uh, I thought this was going to be a 40-minute episode, and it's um, 70, <laughs> and that's fantastic um, because it's it's so good. We've given the listener a lot of scriptures to look at and some scriptures that you need to wrestle through, but again... In summary, our Reformed position is that all who are chosen by God, redeemed by Christ, and regenerated by the Holy Spirit are eternally saved. It it is eternal, and that's what we're dealing with here. We're kept in faith by the power of the Almighty God, and therefore we will continue to persevere in our our faith, right? right? Because it's a gift from God. And and just one final thing is is in these doctrines and everything that Thad just said and summed up well is— this assurance that we have is something to encourage us. It's not, it's, it's not in anything that should, if it is producing any, in you any kind of apathy or um, any kind of uh, lackadaisicalness in your faith, any kind of... Um, uh, hey, I'm saved, I can do anything I want. Right, or any whatever. of that stuff. Yeah. Then you've go back the and you've missed the point, yeah. right? That, that it's confidence in God... And that confidence in God then shows itself in a life that follows, 
and a life that submits, a life that trusts in. A life of in pursuit of holiness, yes, which is our sanctification. Things, this is the right. will of God, even your sanctification. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, so hopefully, hopefully that does encourage you. So when you do have doubts, when you do wonder, when you do, you know, have just with that description of what Thad did on his pillow, right? That is like, I need to ask forgiveness again. Well, don't ask forgiveness for not trusting, you know, that it is forgiven. Yeah. The kind of thing is and that- And then rest in it. And, and rest in it. That it, it's to produce a life of peace and well-being in us um, that, that actually frees us to serve, frees us to be bold with our words of the gospel, frees us to be transparent with our own life, right, of, of what we need. And so I hope you see this, these doctrines to be freeing, to be giving you peace and assurance, and to actually strengthen our faith, not lessen it in any way. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Well, we're, we're going to continue on topical um, that's going to be related to this, I think, yes. for a while. There's, there's so much uh, more to it. We've covered the tulip, but when we're right. dealing with the doctrines and Reformed theology, there, there's more to come. So, yeah. so stay tuned yeah. and, uh, and keep your nose in that Bible and uh, you know, trust the Spirit. All right. Have a great day, everybody. See you. Join us next time as we begin our look at the five solas of the Reformation. Until then, take care. Planet is a Cornerstone EPC production, connecting to God, one another, and the world through the love of Jesus. More information can be found at cornerstonebrighton.com.